This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. God confirmed in his heart. He said, you have, in other words, the Lord is confirming in his heart. He said, listen, you want to go to Jerusalem? You know, you're crazy. You know what's going to happen? They're going to kill you there. And it's like he wants to go. The Lord willed for him to go. You know, God, the Bible says that God will fulfill the desires of your heart. We're not talking about material things. We're talking about moving in, in the Lord. And so Paul had that desire to share the gospel to the Jews. Our God is a loving Father who cares about the things that are important to us. For Paul, his people, the Jews, were important to him. He had been successful in ministering to the Gentiles, but he longed to bring the gospel to his own people. As Pastor Eddie explains in today's message, this desire of Paul's fit within God's will. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to see our desires reflecting those of our Father in heaven, and he will fulfill them. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie for today's edition of Running the Race. Let us look at Acts chapter 21, verse 1. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, Now it came to pass that when he had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, and the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. So the first stop was Kos, which is about 40 miles south of Miletus. That's where they came from. Then they went to Rhodes. Uh, Rhodes in history, there was a beautiful site of this you know, not a beautiful sight, but it was a big statue of Colossus. It was a big statue where the, sheep, the ships would actually sail between the statue's legs. And you could Google that. And it was built in uh, 292 and two, uh, 280 BC. And then they made it to Patera, which is the capital of Lycia. And there they found another ship and they were to set sail to Phoenicia. And so in verse 2, and it said, finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had uh, sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to uh, Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. So we could see Luke, he's writing down, Luke is the author, he's on this ship, and you can see that as he, he is taken by the scenery, and he's probably on the port side of the ship, and he's writing, and we sighted Cyprus as we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria. And so, you know, he's a doctor, so he's going to take detailed notes. And so they docked uh, at Tyre, and the ship crew began to unload their cargo. Now, Tyre, you probably know it uh, better as Lebanon. It's modern-day Lebanon now. Lebanon's just right north above Israel. So this is Tyre. This is the Tyre we're talking about. It's, it's Lebanon. And so then Paul and company gets out of the ship in verse 4, and it says, And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. Finding disciples there in the Greek means that they, they went out, they searched for these disciples. In other words, they diligently searched out these guys. It wasn't like, hey, we just bumped into some disciples. 
Uh, Paul knew that during this time, we're talking about 20 years after the birth of the church in the day of Pentecost, that is, is estimated over 1 million Christians are all over the Roman Empire. And so Paul is one of those guys that wherever he went, wherever he traveled, he always searched for fellowship. He always searched for fellowship, and I love his heart. And so now here's Paul and company, and they find uh, fellow brothers and disciples, and they stay with them seven days. And it says, and find the disciples, we stay there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Now, if you've been following along with us in our study, we just studied in, in chapter 20, verses 22 to 23, um, when we compare what the disciples said to Paul here in chapter 21, verse 4, compared to what Paul said in chapter 20, verses 22 to 23. Let us read that. Paul said, he said, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testify in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So you're thinking, wait a minute, is there a contradiction here in the word? The Holy Spirit told Paul, yeah, you're going down to Jerusalem, and you would be persecuted. Chains and tribulations await you. And now you have these disciples that are saying, don't go through the Holy Spirit. Now, did the Holy Spirit tell them to go, or did the Holy Spirit tell them not to go? Now, on the surface, it may seem like there's some kind of contradiction between the two. However, when we thoroughly study the scriptures and rightly dividing the word, we could come to a clear understanding of what the Holy Spirit is really saying to Paul. And so I believe that the disciples of Tyre heard the same message of the Holy Spirit as Paul did. And we're going to also see Agabus, the prophet Agabus in verse 11, is going to give the same prophecy, but in a different way, a little more dramatic. He's going to really put a little display there. The disciples of Tyre knew that through the Holy Spirit that the apostle would suffer persecution and chains and tribulation. Apparently, they were so concerned for Paul that they expressed new, uh, normal human reaction. And so they're telling Paul not to go and what, because what will happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. And so I believe the Holy Spirit did tell Paul to go to Jerusalem. The prophecy of the disciples of Tyre only really confirmed what the Holy Spirit has been putting in, in Paul's heart. Here's another confirmation. When we get to chapter 23, and we can look at it up in there on your screen, Acts chapter 23, verse 11, it says, But the following night the Lord stood by him, that's Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So, we can see that the Lord is with him. Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, Paul, who told you to come here? I told you, to see what happens? You're on your own now, you know? The Lord kind of confirmed it. And so uh, Jesus didn't say any of that. So there's no contradiction. It's just using verses and other texts to clearly understand what God is really saying to Paul. Now, here's what it all really boils down to. You see, if you know the heart of Paul, Paul had a desire to share the gospel in Jerusalem. He always wanted to go to Jerusalem to share to his fellow Jewish brothers, to share uh, to his fellow countrymen. He always had a heart, though he was called for the Gentiles, and he did an incredible work in sharing the gospel through the regions out there where there are Gentiles. But you notice, where did he go first? Everywhere, everywhere he went, every city, every village he went to, where did he go first? The synagogue. You see? Because he had a heart to share the truth to the people of the covenant. 
And so because he has a strong heart and a desire to share the gospel to the Jews, this God confirmed in his heart. He said, you have, in other words, the Lord is confirming in his heart. He said, listen, you want to go to Jerusalem? You know, you're crazy. You know what's going to happen? They're going to kill you there. And it's like he wants to go. And the Lord willed for him to go. You know, God, the Bible says that God will fulfill the desires of your heart. We're not talking about material things. We're talking about moving in, in the Lord. And so Paul had that desire to share the gospel to the Jews. He had that desire. And so I believe that, you know, the Lord has just confirmed. He said, listen, Paul, you want to do this? You really want to do this? You want to go to Jerusalem? All right. Be ready. Chains await you. There's going to be persecution. Are you ready for this? He said, all right. You're down? We're going to do this. I'll be with you. I mean, you're going to feel some pain, but I'll be with you. And that's pretty much what is happening here. So what was the response? And I'll explain a little bit more when we get to chapter, I mean, to verse 12. I'll get a little more into detail on that, just to know the heart of Paul. But how did Paul respond to the, to the disciples' attire? How did he respond? There's no record. There's nothing. He didn't say, oh, yes, you're right. Oh, yes, you're wrong. He just took the word as a confirmation, understanding that the reason why they are sharing this to him was because of their concern. And we're going to see this. But Paul, he's willing to die for Christ. So in verse 5, it says, When he had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. I think this is a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture. There, the whole entire church of Tyre came. It wasn't only the disciples. It only wasn't men. It was the wives and the children. And it's amazing because they only knew Paul for one week, for seven days. They only knew Paul for seven days. And they loved him so much. He made such an impact in their lives that the children came, the wives came, and they prayed with him as he is getting ready to get on, to get on the ship again. And you know what I love about this is that the children are mentioned here and the wives. It was so much more so that the entire mission, missionary team uh, with the children. Now, the word children mentioned in the whole book of Acts, uh, this is the only time um, that is mentioned referring to little ones. When you see the word children again in the book of Acts, it's referring to the children of Israel. But this is what I love about this, because this gives a good picture of what a church ought to be, a church of old people, young people, kids and children of all ages. You know, it's sad, but I heard this once from a leader of another church, and he said this. He said, we're not your grandmother's church. Really? You know, I don't, I'm not into, I don't like the church that's just geared towards the young hipsters, just young people. That's it. And that bothers me. The church should be a family. It should be a church family of people of all ages. We should minister to everyone and anyone. And so we see here that there's a church family, brothers and sisters. The church, Christianity is all about family. You'll hear me say it all the time. We're family. We're family. Never, ever, ever consider Calvary Chapel of Milford just a church. We're a family. Never say, oh, this person is my friend of the church, a church friend. You know, I would love to hear someone say the truth, the biblical truth. This is my brother and sister in Christ. This is my brother and sister in Christ. 
You know, we're more than just friends. As a matter of fact, even to Christ, who did Jesus consider his brother and sisters, his disciples? When Jesus was at the cross, what did he say to his mother? He said, mother, behold your son. And that was John the Baptist, not John the Baptist, that was John, the disciple. And what did he say to John, the disciple? He said, son, behold your mother. They weren't blood related, but based on Jesus, their mother and son. As a matter of fact, here in Matthew chapter 12, verses 47 to 50, it says, Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hands towards his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ because, you know, when you compare your relationship with one another, those who are believers in Jesus Christ, your relationship with them means much more to God than your blood family. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is a lot greater and more powerful and has more effect and it means more than anything in the world than blood relatives. And that's what binds us together. And when I look at this verse, I said, this is a beautiful picture of a church family sending off a disciple, the Apostle Paul. And I think it's a beautiful picture. Never think of us as that way. You would never hear me say, it's my church friend. Oh, that person, yeah, attends our church. That's my brother and sister in Christ. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We see that that's Jesus' heart. This is not my opinion. This is biblical. And so we need to get out of it. I think once we really consider one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, because see what happens is because we're relatives, we have that relationship. We know people. So there's no wall being, there's no wall being put up. You know, as we get to know people who are strangers, right, it takes a while for you to start breaking down the wall to really know who the person is, that you could open yourself up to that person or you could be more comfortable with that person, you know. You know, we have one thing in common is Jesus Christ. And so we are to be family brothers. And so Luke continues. He writes in verse 6. He said, when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Do you remember who Philip is? This is the same Philip that we studied in chapter 6. Very early stages of the church. Remember when the church, when the apostles said, hey, listen, you know, we, you know, we need to really dedicate our time into studying the word of God so we could teach it. We need to spend our time in prayer. You know, we need to at least, you know, call in and lay hands on seven deacons to care for the serving of tables. This is the same Philip. He was one of the first deacons in all church history, along with... Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr in all of Christian history. So Philip was with, was with Stephen. And the reason why I mention this is because who is Paul meeting? He's meeting Philip. Who labored, who was a deacon together with Philip? Stephen. Who was responsible for the stoning death of Stephen? 
Paul, who was before Saul of Tarsus. And I find this, this, this unity of them coming together, this meeting, incredible. Now, after 20 years, they are see each other face to face. Saul of Tarsus, who's now the Apostle Paul. Philip the deacon, who is now Philip the evangelist. You remember when he fled after the persecution, he started to leave Jerusalem. Who did he meet us? An Ethiopian eunuch. And he shared the gospel. Where did he go? He went to Samaria, shared the gospel, and the church started going. He was an evangelist when he left Israel, Jerusalem. Because that was in his heart. Now he's no longer deacon. Now he's an evangelist. Now I wonder, because, you know, I like to think. Now, this is not biblical, so nobody go. This is what I think, you know. I'm just thinking. Just, I like to put myself in that room with Philip and Paul. You know, what was going through Philip's mind? What was going through his mind? I can only imagine. What, what, what feelings were going through, if, if any, if any emotions he had, what was he going through? You know, his brother in Christ, Stephen, was stoned to death. And the very man who was holding the coats and the garments of those who were stoning is right here in my home. That's crazy. Who could do that? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. I mean, Paul was Saul of Tarsus. He was responsible uh, for Stephen's death. But we don't know what happened. But one thing we do know is that now together, they're brothers in Christ. Now together, they're going to be in ministry together. And I think this is awesome. You know, Philip here is not just a believer. Uh, Philip is a servant of the Lord. We saw him serving as a deacon, serving tables. And then here, now he's an evangelist and he welcomes Paul. He's now hosting Paul in his home. He's giving him a bed to stay. He's giving him matzo soup and matzo balls. And he's serving him. He's loving him. This is the man that now he's a servant of God. Pretty sure you heard of his testimony. Can I tell you something, saints? Never write off anybody. Never, ever, ever, ever say that person would never come to know Jesus Christ. That person would never, no matter how evil they are, no matter how I think it's impossible, nothing is impossible. If anybody is willing to surrender their life, regardless of their past, the power of Jesus Christ, the power of his blood could change anyone around. We have a man who, who tormented the church, who who persecuted the church, now he is spreading the gospel. And now we have in our laps two-thirds of the New Testament written by this former terrorist, Solitarsis. Never write off anybody. If there's someone that you know and you think, please, please don't, don't write them off. Pray for them. Pray. You know, I'll try to look for the most impossible person and start praying for them. That's what I will do. Think of someone. Every one of us knows someone is impossible. You could think right now you probably thought about that person in your head. Pray for that person. It doesn't matter if they're in your family, your neighbor, your boss. <laughs> Anyone can be saved. Anyone. Never give up. And uh, they never gave up. The Lord did not give up on Saul until he met them there. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. The power of the blood. Now here... Here they are, the Apostle Paul and uh, Philip the Evangelist. Uh, they're united by the transforming power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And now they're brothers. Now here's, what, here's more about Philip, you know. We haven't seen him since chapter 6, um, you know, running after the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, but he has a family now. Let's look at verse 9. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. I like the prophecy part. 
but four daughters? I have three. I love them. They know that. God knows. They say, hey, I want girls. Girls are more family. I'm sorry, guys. I always said this, you know. You know, guys, you know, when, girls are more family than guys, bottom line. That's my opinion. Now, don't start writing me less. It's my opinion. <laughs> you know, because I, I've been in family reunions. You know, when if there's a family reunion, if the guy goes, if he does, he's the last one there, eats and run and leaves, the first one to leave. You know? Girls are there from the beginning, the day before, even the day after. So I'm a family man. The Lord blessed me with three beautiful girls. But these girls, his four daughters are, are prophetess. And so Philip was the man that raised his home. He's, he's like, he, said, he probably said what Joshua said. For me and my house, we just serve the Lord. And here he has four daughters, not one, not two, not two, not three. And not just daughters. They're all prophetess, all of them. All of them could prophesy. That's amazing. All of them could prophesy. Can you imagine before they even asked their father if they could go out? Listen, don't bother. I know he's not. <laughs> Can you imagine? But you know what I love about this is that they did not raise up these children for themselves. They didn't raise up these children for themselves, but they raised up these children for the Lord. You know, we live in a culture where now, you know, we raise them to be politicians, actors, musicians, athletes. We raise them for ourselves. We raise them for the world. And we think we're preparing them from the world. Just, but we really are not. Because there's nothing about God. We're not raising them up in the Lord. And so this is what they are doing right now. This is, this is the family of Philip. Raising of four girls. And now they're prophetess. They're ready. You know, that's the children are given, for us, given to us for a season, a season time only. Always remember that parents, young parents, or you're about to be a parent, always remember your children are not for you. The Lord entrusted you with your children, but they're given to you for a season and a season time only because when they're to be sent out, they're there to share the gospel. They're there to be a light in a dark world. That's why the Lord gave to Adam. That's why the Lord told Noah, be fruitful and multiply. He didn't just say multiply. He said, be fruitful and multiply. What good is it if we're a Christian, we're, we're raising up kids and we're having children, and we're raising them up the same way of the world? What's the big thing now? Oh, sports. It's all about sports. And I'm sorry, because that's what I see around here. I come from different areas and different, but it's all about sports. Can you imagine if every parent were committed to take their kids to sport, if they were committed to bring their kids to church or have a Bible, can you imagine what would happen? But we're caught up in the culture. We're caught up in what the world is doing. That's why people ask, where are the prophetess? Where are the evangelists? Where are the preachers? Where are the teachers? Oh, they're playing soccer and baseball and basketball. I'm ready. We hope that today's edition of Running the Race has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Milford, Pennsylvania area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on Running the Race are produced from the worship services at Calvary Chapel of Milford. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., as well as an in-depth midweek Bible study every Wednesday at 7 p.m. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to runningtheraceradio.com and then simply click on Service Times. 
Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support Running the Race. Radio programs like Running the Race are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see running the race expand throughout the tri-state area. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting running the race? Log on to runningtheraceradio.com and simply click on the Give option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you. Please join us next time for another edition of Running the Race. I'm reaching